today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We need to realize that the battle does not end until we lose this body of flesh and then we get a glorified body and we're with the Lord and then there's not that conflict. Until that time, there's going to be this war against your soul. And Paul writes about it not just here in Galatians. He talks about the members of my body warred against itself. This is a battle that we're in. So we have to recognize the battle every day. You let your guard down on the battle, you're going to take a bullet. you got to be constantly on your guard. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. The world, your flesh, and the devil are constantly working against you in your walk with Christ. It may be depressing to hear, but many of the sins that you struggle with now They're not going away as long as you dwell in the flesh. In some cases, they may lose their allure, while in others, the draw to indulge may increase. As Pastor Gary warns us in today's message, it is vital that you remain aware and on guard against temptation. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill and equip you to stand up and fight against those strongholds of sin. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You can't hardly watch a TV show or a movie today where adultery or fornication is not being portrayed as the norm. It might be common, but it's not right, okay? And it depends in in making that statement. You know, I know for some of you that's like, well, you know, who gives you the right to say what's right? It's not me. Look, it just depends. What is your worldview? And what is the lens through which you determine what is right and what is wrong? Now, for me, I settled it a long time ago that the Bible is that lens through which I view everything in my world. And so when God says certain things are right, then that's the lens that I look through and I see that that's right. And when God says certain things are wrong, that's the lens I look look through and those things are wrong. And those things will always be wrong. I don't care what the culture says. Those things will always be wrong. Truth is truth and truth is sometimes offensive. But truth doesn't change if it's really true. Okay? You know, if you walked into math class one day and they said, hey, two plus three is now four. Be like, when, who changed that? I thought two plus two was four. Well, no, no, no. Today we're going to say two plus three is four. And then if you get enough people to just agree that two plus three is four, all of a sudden now it's right. That doesn't make it right. It's fundamentally wrong. And so I know for some of you, this is a hard pill to swallow because you're thinking this is antiquated stuff. And I can tell you, honestly, as a pastor and every pastor on our staff can tell you that we've counseled couples in premarital counseling before they get married. And one of the questions we'll ask is, are you sleeping together? Because if you're sleeping together and you want us as pastors to do your wedding, we as pastors want God's blessings to be upon your marriage. Or else you could just go to the justice of the peace and get it done. So if you want a pastor to perform your wedding, you're going to have to understand how God orchestrates and orders things to be done because it's for your best. 
So if you're sleeping with him or sleeping with her, you need to stop doing that. Are you willing to stop doing that? And we'll have couples, some, who will say no, and some who will say yes. And to those who say yes, we continue on with the premarital. And to those who say no, we're like, well, then you might as well go get married by justice of peace because you don't need us. If you want to do it your way instead of God's way, why do you need a pastor to do it? You know, so look, we have to decide that we're going to line up our lives with Scripture no matter how popular, no matter how common, or no matter how much we agree or disagree with it. That we have to conform our hearts and our lives to the truth of God's Word, even when it's uncomfortable. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's uncomfortable. But that's okay. The reason it's uncomfortable is because our flesh wants to do something very different in opposition to God's general moral code. We just do. We're just sinful at heart. We want to do things our way. And God comes along and says, well, here's my way. And now we have a decision at that point. Well, I don't want to do it God's way or I do. I'm either going to conform or I'm going to rebel. And that becomes a personal decision. I can tell you this. The Bible says the way the transgressor is hard. If you decide you don't want to do it God's way, you are inviting hardship into your life. I'm just being flat up straight with you. You are inviting hardship into your life when you deliberately violate God's best. So, you know, even back to the illustration of what we tell premarital couples in premarital counseling, we're not trying to be a killjoy. We're trying to do everything we possibly can to bring you to the most optimal place of God's best for your life. And, and so then, you know, it becomes a decision at that point. And, and some people, honestly, out of ignorance, are like, well, I, did, I didn't know we shouldn't be doing this. I, did, I didn't know we shouldn't be living together. I didn't know. And, you know, those, those are the best. Because I, 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 I love the ones, oh, I didn't know. And then, and then they're like, okay, we want to make, you know, the ones who are the worst, like, yeah, I know, I don't care. Okay, get out of our office. You know, I mean, it's just that kind of a, it's just like, well, if you know and you don't care, then you don't need us. But anyway, so, so Paul makes this list here. And so, some of these things on the list, a little hard to swallow. But you and I have to examine our lives in view of Scripture, and then we have to decide, do I want God's best or do I want to live my life my way? Good luck if you want to live it your way. Good luck. God says, acts of the sinful nature, sexual immorality. So again, pornea, it's a broad term, all kinds of sexual expression outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. So that covers everything, whether it's adultery or fornication. And then he says impurity, adds impurity to the list. Then he says debauchery. Debauchery in the ESV said sensuality. It is open, shameless sexual sin. That's that's what debauchery is. Open, shameless sexual sin. We're kind of living in that age right now. We're just open and shameless. It's a very confusing time in our world. People's sexual identity is becoming a very confusing thing because our culture is, is not helping to steer people in the right direction of truth. So the culture begins to think that the best thing is just for you to do whatever comes natural to you. And we're doing a horrible disservice to people. Okay, But to say, you know what? A particular lifestyle is not right, then you get labeled a hater. It's actually one of the most loving things to say when you're speaking the truth in love because, again, you want God's best for someone. But along the lines of those things that are sinful, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, open shameless sexual sin, idolatry is the next thing on the list, and witchcraft. Now the ESV says sorcery. Here, here's where you can write in the margin, smoking pot, right here. 
You say, where do you see that? The Greek word for witchcraft or sorcery is pharmakia. And pharmakia is where we get our English word pharmacy. And the reason why pharmakia is used in the Bible where it's often translated witchcraft or sorcery is because did you know that they would use illicit drugs, particularly hallucinogens, to invoke demonic spirits in witchcraft? And so that is connected to demonic, satanic things. So any kinds of illegal drugs, particularly mind-altering hallucinogenics, I can tell you, open yourself, expose you to demonic things. Because it's, it's a gateway that sometimes the enemy will use then to bring greater demonic influence around your life. So it's, it's listed here, pharmakia, witchcraft, uh, pharmacy, Ill- illegal drugs. The next thing on the list is hatred. Some of these obviously are self-explanatory. What more do I need to say about hatred? Discord. The ESV uses the word strife. So it's, you know, when, when it's, it's, that, it's that unrest between you know, people when you sow seeds of discord. It's, it's a terrible thing. Jealousy, next on the list. Fits of rage. Okay, not all anger is sin. Uh, if, if someone were to break into your house and hurt one of your family members and you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. Okay, not all anger is sin, but this is in the context of fits of rage. It's talking about rage, uncontrollable anger. Next on the list is selfish ambition. ESV uses the word rivalries. Dissensions. Again, this has to do with internal strife and, and disagreements. between. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with people. We disagree all the time between people. But it's when you are in such a... Uh, in fact, King James uses the word sedition instead of dissension. It's this undermining. That's different from disagreeing. It's undermining. It's dissension. It's sedition. Uh, for which, by the way, in the United States, is still punishable by death. Sedition against the U.S. government is still punishable by death. So there's a, there's a strong warning against this kind of thing, this undermining, this sedition. Factions is the next thing on the list. ESV uses the word divisions. King James, New King James, uses the word heresies. In other words, some of the greatest factions or divisions come as a result of heresy related to biblical truth. Next on the list is envy. Envy is not just wanting what someone else has. Envy, because that's, that's jealousy. Envy, which is also on the list, but envy is despising the fact that they have it. And then at this point, King James inserts the word murders. And then to close out the list, uh, NIV uses the word drunkenness and orgies. Now, uh, those two go together, don't they? I mean, you know, wherever there's a lot of alcohol, there's going to be people taking off their clothes. And so, you know, these two things go together, drunkenness and orgies. And then gets into this debate about drunkenness, you know, the whole alcohol thing. You know, so, okay, so Pastor G, you know, drunkenness is the sin, but not drinking a little bit. All right. Well, maybe so, but listen to me on this. At what point does the buzz become drunkenness? Where's that line? Where's that line? I mean, legally speaking, today, if you were to get stopped and you were to have a breathalyzer administered to you as you're driving, okay, and you get stopped, you get pulled over, and a breathalyzer is given to you, 0.08 is now the legal limit for blood alcohol content. So you're busted if it's 0.08 or greater. Now, here's the thing. A few years ago, it used to be 0.10. You could actually drink more and still drive. 
So is God a .08 God? Is he a .10 God? (laughs) And here's what's even worse. You go to some countries, and it's a different blood alcohol level. You go to France, Sweden, Belgium, it's .05. You can drink a lot more in the... uh, Sorry, you can can drink... You have to... If you drink... .05 is even worse, so you can't drink very much. And so it looks like, wow, France of all places... They're a 0.05 country, and we're a 0.08 country? Yeah, but the reason is because they have a high tolerance now. Those people have been, you know, anyway. But so, but, but is God a 0.05? Is he a France God? Is he American God? And so then the question becomes, at what point is drunkenness the sin? It's a very challenging thing. And I don't have a whole lot of good stuff to say about alcohol because of all the bad stuff that comes as a result of alcohol. And I've used this illustration before, but it is true. No one has ever come and sat down in my office and told me how alcohol has improved their lives. But I can tell you truthfully, I've had people sit in my office and tell me how alcohol was the result of a drunk driver who killed their son. And alcohol was the reason I lost my job. And alcohol is the reason that I ended up in an affair. I've heard those stories. I've never once heard anything good ever come out of it. Strong caution. Statistically speaking, every 30 minutes, someone, every 30 minutes, someone is killed in an automobile accident because of a drunk driver in the United States. Three out of four incidents of spousal abuse involves alcohol. It is the third leading cause of death behind heart disease and cancer. And according to MAD, alcohol kills six and a half times more youth than all other illicit drugs combined. Drunkenness is on the list. And then he rounds it out back with the sexual sin of orgies. And then he, again, and the like, and the like. And he adds there, keep reading in uh, the end of verse uh, 21, he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is strong language. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he says, those who live like this. So he's talking about perpetual, habitual lifestyle. You might look at this list and say, I kind of had a fit of rage yesterday, you know, so am I out of heaven now? And so, you know, you can look at this list and it, it's, it's pretty convicting, isn't it? But this is not speaking of those occasional lapses. That might be related to the flesh and spirit struggle. But in the context, it's speaking about habitual or regular practices without regard for change. So it affects your eternal destiny. It's a strong statement that he makes there. He adds in verse 22, but, here comes the good news, the fruit of the Spirit, please notice, fruit is singular. Acts of the sinful nature was plural. Fruit of the Spirit is singular. So it has been said that we need to read this list, and he's going to give nine, he's going to mention nine things, like not just a variety of fruit, sort of like the gifts of the Spirit, which... There are a variety of gifts, and God distributes the gifts as he determines, and you might have one gift and not necessarily another. The fruit of the Spirit is different. It is singular. So instead of seeing it as like a basket of different varieties of fruit, see it as a single cluster, like a cluster of grapes. And some have also believed that what is written here is descriptive of the first word, which is love, and then the other eight words identify the true meaning of love. So I, I don't know if, you, if, if that's true, if it's just this, you know, the idea that it's really a description of love and then all those other words describe love or it is, if it is singular because it is to be seen as one lump. In other words, don't, as we read the list, you'll see this, don't say to yourself, well, I, I have um, 
kindness, but I don't have patience, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's not, we, we, should, we should say, Lord, I want all the fruit of the Spirit to be demonstrated in my life as one sum total cluster here. So here, here's the list, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And by the way, that's the word agape love, agape, the supreme highest kind of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a good list. He says, against such things there is no law. In other words, there's no law that would prohibit you from being a loving person or a gentle person or a kind person. But in addition, there's no law that exceeds these things. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. See, there's a call to action right there. I'm going to summarize this in a minute. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, because I started out by saying we're we're no longer under the legal obligation of the law in terms of it helping us to get to heaven, we are still under the moral obligation of the law. Nevertheless, we're free. We just can't use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So, Liberty comes with responsibility. How then, what is the prescription for responsible Christian living? I'm going to summarize this section that we just read here between verses 16 and 26. What is the prescription for responsible Christian living? I think the first thing is to recognize the battle exists between your flesh, otherwise called the sinful nature, and the spirit within. That's verse 17. If you don't recognize the battle, you're already going to be defeated by it. I mean, half the battle is recognizing that you're in one, okay? There is a real battle, and it will not go away until you go to be with Jesus and you lose this body of flesh. It just will not stop. I, years ago, I was doing a uh, conference at, a, uh, at another church for their men's ministry. Uh, I was a speaker at, for their men's conference, and uh, there was a Q&A time at the end of, of the conference. And so I'm up there, and, and again, it's all men. And this one guy, 20-something, uh, raised his hand, and I called on him. And he said, I, I kind of want to know, do, does the whole sexual temptation thing get better uh, the older you get? And I kind of took offense at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Because in my head, I'm thinking, you know, old guy, why don't you tell us, old guy, does it get better? And then before I could even answer, there was a guy in the back who raised his hand. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This guy was probably 80 to 85 years of age. And he raised his hand, and I, and I, and I called on him. He goes, I, he gets up, he goes, I can answer that question. It took him a while to get up out of his seat. I said, all right, sir, go ahead. Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, I'm off the hook. Go ahead, you answer it. Plus, you're older than I am, so go for it. And the guy says, it never gets better. And then he sits down. <laughs> and there was like this dead silence in the room. And I was just, you know, the first thing I thought was, this sounds so depressing. And then the second thing I thought was, you dirty old man. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I thought. But the guy spoke truth. The guy spoke truth because at some point we need to realize that the battle does not end until we lose this body of flesh and then we get a glorified body and we're with the Lord and then there's not that conflict. Until that time, there's going to be this war against your soul. And Paul writes about it not just here in Galatians. He talks about the members of my body warred against itself. This is a battle that we're in. So we have to recognize the battle every day. 
You let your guard down on the battle, you're going to take a bullet. You got to be constantly on your guard, constantly aware. And there are basically three things that work in concert against you. The world, your flesh, and the devil. Those things are constantly working in concert against you to defeat you, to discourage you, to tempt you, to lead you astray. So we're in a battle. In this particular context, it's the battle of our own flesh. So forget for the moment the world and the devil, just our own flesh is bad enough. So recognize the battle. The second thing, then, he says at the beginning of the section, in verse 16, is live by the Spirit. In other words, rely on the Spirit's power. That, that we have to recognize, and, and Paul even says in Romans 8, verse 11, he says, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you by His Spirit. The same Spirit of God that powerfully stooped down and opened up a tomb and gave life to the body of Jesus and raised Him from the dead, that same Spirit is within you as a believer. So you're not alone. You're not alone in this conflict. This is not just about exercising your will, though that's part of it. It is making a decision. But it is also relying on the power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead that is active and working in your life. You're not left without power, without help, because God is working within you to help you in this battle. But the third thing we see here, and this part is on us also, is to crucify the flesh, the acts of the sinful nature. That's what he says there in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, to take up your cross daily and follow him. The cross was a symbol of suffering and death. Okay, I know we've made it into beautiful jewelry these days. And you know, I know, I know, you know some of you ladies and even guys can wear a, a cross around their neck. But understand, it's, I, I know what it means in terms of like our faith. It's like oh, the, the cross is empty and Jesus rose from the dead. But you have to understand, I mean, it, it would be the equivalent of like, in our modern terms, like carrying a small little picture of a, uh, an electric chair around your neck. Who would do that? Or a hypodermic needle, you know, a lethal injection. What's that around your neck? That's a hypodermic needle. Why is that? Uh, that's because that's the form of execution today. That isn't going to sell, friends. That isn't going to sell. So what you really have around your neck is a, is a picture of death. So when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, I want you to take up your cross, you know, don't look at your pretty jewelry and go, oh, that's so sweet. No, it's pick up your cross. In other words, crucify the flesh. Please note the word, crucify the flesh. Do not make concession for your flesh. Paul says, I make no provision for the flesh, for the flesh to gratify the lust thereof. We can't make any provision for it. We can't coddle it. We can't try to rehabilitate it. We can't make allowances for it. We must put it to death. And there is a dying to self and a dying to our flesh that we must deliberately, intentionally exercise every day of our lives. I got to die to this. I can't allow this to rule. It wants to rule. I can't, I can't allow it. I'm dying to this. False teaching followed the Apostle Paul wherever he went. It seemed as soon as he left a church, people professing to know the truth came in and planted seeds of doubt, twisting the gospel to fit their own agendas. 
This is what happened in the Galatian church and why Paul was compelled to pen his letter that you now know as the book of Galatians. Paul will continue to defend the authority God has given him and the simple message of the gospel as you continue to study this book with us. Thank you for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection today. If you'd like to listen again to Pastor Gary Hamrick's message or would like to explore more of his verse-by-verse teachings, visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast as well, so you'll be informed as soon as we post a new edition of this program. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out more when you visit our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to dive into the Word again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know